welcome back to the Novel Universe with your host Dawn. It is just me today and I will be doing my April reads, what I read in April. I read nine books, nine and a half books this month, um, mostly because of the quarantine, obviously, and because I discovered Audible. I was never an audiobook listener before, not really. And I realized that I can listen to a YA book in about three days. So that's what I've been doing while I've been working from home is listening to audiobooks. So I got through nine and a half books. It is not my personal best. A couple years ago, I actually read 12 books in a month and I read them like I didn't listen to any of them. I didn't skim them. I had to read them all. There was a reason for that. We're not going to get into that, but nine books. And so I'm going to run down what I read, what I rated, and then I will go into a couple of them a little bit more in depth. Not too much, but we'll just see what happens. <laughs> okay, so I read for April, Silence of Bones by June Her, Fable by Adrian Young, Crave by Tracy Wolf, The Loop by Ben Oliver, The Sword of Destiny, which is 0.75 in the Witcher series, Chosen Ones by Veronica Roth, Mo only mostly devastated by Sofia Gonzalez. I didn't write her. Hopefully that's right. I didn't write her name down. You by Caroline Kepnes. Kingdom of Back by Marie Lu. And The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. Whew. Okay, so let's start with The Silence of Bones by June Her. I actually, yeah, let's start with that. So I gave that a 3.5 that just came out a couple weeks ago. And this is about, um, this is a historical fiction slash murder mystery kind of thriller. And I apologize if I'm saying these names wrong. I listened to it and it was really hard to understand the pronunciation of the names. So... The main character, this book is about, um, first of all, it takes place in 19th century Korea, early 19th century, I think, I believe so. And Seoul, I think her name Seoul, S-E-O-L, Seoul's, I don't know. We'll call her Seoul right now. She's 16 and she is, um, she works for law enforcement. She's, she's a servant. She's not like a cop or anything. But because men at this time are not allowed to touch women, either dead or alive, they need women to do that part of the job for them. So she like dresses the bodies if they're dead. If people, if women are in prison, she like, you know, goes in and like heals their wounds after they've been tortured. She um, talks to them, you know, stuff like that. So she, she handles the women, but she's mostly in the background. She serves the tea and shuts up. It's that type of thing. Except, well, that's how women are supposed to be. Except for Soul, it's not like that. She's very inquisitive. She is nosy AF. And the lead investigator, Inspector Han, I believe is his name, he, instead of like telling her to get in the background and shut up, he's like, hey, you're smart. Do you want to help me with this investigation? And she's, she helps them. And there's other stuff going on. But I'll get into that when I review the book. So I gave this a three and a half. I had a couple of 
major problems with the book. Um, the first problem is this book suffered from two fatal flaws or not fatal flaws, deal breakers. I have, I have deal breakers. And basically that means is when a book does certain things, it kind of makes me lower the, lower it by a star or half a star. And this book did it twice. And one of them is the eavesdropping to advance the plot trope, which is when characters eavesdrop conversations and it advances, it advances the plot because they get information cheating a cheating because it's like the author can't figure out any other way for the character to get information so they list they overhear conversations but I will let it slide in this book because she is kind of a detective like she's helping the investigation she has to follow people and sneak around corners and you know try to get information you know a sneaky way so she overhears conversations so I will let that go but the other deal breaker, which she was guilty of, was the the sudden epiphanies, which I hate. And the sudden epiphanies is when an author recalls a conversation that happened months ago, a small conversation that happened months ago. And oh my goodness, it helps them solve the whole mystery or a major clue. And she does this several times. One time I can forgive. But when you do it several times, it's like, that's cheating. Once again, that's kind of lazy writing. You, you, Most people don't recall some conversation they had months ago. Like if she had it written down in a little notebook and she opened up her notebook, sure, sure, okay, perhaps. But I don't like that. So I did drop it a half a quarter of a star because of that. But the real reason why I dropped it, the star rating, is because, and this is mostly a me problem, not so much. No, there's there's another reason. I forgot. So another minor reason is, like I said, I listened to the book on audiobook, and this book is set in Korea. I am not familiar with Korean names, and so I could not remember the characters' names. And there were a lot of characters in this book. There's at least 10 major characters and I'm trying to pay attention but you can't you can't forget people's names when you listen to a murder mystery because what ended up happening was it revealed the murderer and I'm like wait a minute that guy's name sounds really familiar who's that guy I couldn't remember who the character was <laughs> and the only character I could remember was her character's name and Inspector Han because they kept saying it a whole bunch of times but because I'm just not familiar with Korean names, like I didn't know if it was a proper name, if it was their first and last name, was it a surname, was it a title, was it a place, was it food? I, I, because I wasn't looking at it on the page, it was difficult for me to recall names when they came up again. So that's a me problem. But if you struggle with like proper names anyway, I would suggest you read the book and not listen to it because you're going to get confused. Um, so that was a minor issue I had. It did affect my enjoyment of the book, though, enough for me to lower it. But the major problem with this book was that it is historical fiction. And it is about back at this time, there were a lot of Koreans that were converting to Catholicism. But the monarchy... And, you know, other people, the government or whatever, did not like Catholics. And so they were persecuting these people 
or killing them, torturing them, either for converting or for being a sympathizer. That was a huge theme in the book. And I know that because when you get to the book and the author talks about her inspiration from the book, all she talks about is the Catholicism at this time and how people were getting killed and all this stuff. So it was a major point in the book. However, it was written as an afterthought. It wasn't a main, it wasn't a main point in the plot. It was just like, yes, it was part of the mystery, but it was basically, it was very surface level as far as the Catholicism part. It was just like, oh, we don't want Catholics here. Let's kill them. It, it kind of went into why, but it didn't really go into it, which I think was a missed opportunity because although I applaud her for trying to put some religion and some historical fiction in a mystery, I applaud her for that. It, she didn't do enough with it to make this a critical book. This really could have been a critical book, but she didn't do enough with the Catholicism for me. So because of that and the ending, oh my God, I didn't like that ending. Once again, the ending is a me problem, not the book problem. I gave it a 375. However, I do recommend it. I was never bored. It was quite enjoyable. I liked the main character. The pacing was pretty good. Um, she didn't fall for tropes. Like she really did try to do something with this book. So I appreciate that. I do think it should be, if you're a librarian, I think you should buy it. I think you should um, do reader's advisory with it. If you're a YA reader, I think you should give it a try. It's a pretty good book. All right, the next book I read was Fable by Adrienne Young. Ashley, my co-podcaster, and I did a full discussion of this book. So if you want to go and listen to that podcast, you can. I will link it in the show notes. So I'm not going to talk about that here. Um, I also will not talk about Crave by Tracy Wolf because once again, Ashley and I did do a full review of that book. So I'm not going to talk about that here. Once again, I will link it in the show notes. The next book I read was The Loop by Ben Oliver. This is dystopian and I gave this a two and a half, a generous, probably more like a two. Okay, so... This book is basically, like I said, it's dystopian. I can't remember what time this is set in. It's far off in the future. Anyway, I'm not going to really say what the book is about. It's a dystopian book. It's the same thing. All dystopian books are the same. The government is being real shitty and they're killing off the poor people and the poor people rise up and revolt like it, it's all every dystopian book it all has the same thing and of course the revolution is led by a 17 year old kid because only 17 year olds can overthrow the government sure this book wasn't bad but it wasn't good either it was it was it was okay it was okay the pacing was a problem. It's kind of started off slow in the beginning because the, the loop is like a prison that they're in. So he's, I don't even know the main character's name. Let's just call him uh, Steve. Steve was in the loop and he, when he got out of the loop, out of prison, it started, it went too fast. So the first part of the book was really, wasn't slow, but you know, it was evenly paced. But then when they got out of prison, then it was just like breakneck speed. And it was just like, Okay. And this book also made me discover another deal breaker that I had. I originally didn't have this deal breaker, but after reading this book, it became one. And that was the blackout 
and wake up to new characters or a new location. So that's when a main character is in a fight or they get blindsided and they get knocked out and they wake up to somebody like, oh my God, are you okay? I fixed your wounds for you. And now you're in the country of blah, blah, blah. Okay. I can forgive that one time, but like four times, it did this like three times in this book. Like three times is just, that's just lazy writing. Like if you can't figure out how to advance your plot and all you do is make them black out and wake up somewhere else, that that's just (laughs) stupid. So that happened several times. And this book is, it's very juvenile as well. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't give this like a fifth grader because there's a lot of F words in it. I mean, you know, as a librarian, any kid can read whatever they want. I don't tell kids what they can't or cannot read. But if I'm doing this for a book club or if I'm doing a reader's advisory, I would not do a book talk or a reader's advisory to a fifth grader with this book because there's a lot of F words in it. However, it's too juvenile for a high schooler. Like they're not going to be challenged with this book. It's very basic. It's like Maze Runner with swears. Maze Runner is a very easy book. It's like for middle grade, you know, it's, it, I liked, I like Maze Runner, don't get me wrong. But anyway, I don't want to talk about this book anymore. It's not worth my time. I wouldn't read it. If you're looking for like a, a good, it's not dystopian, it's alternate universe, but Scythe is, is a fantastic book. If you haven't read Scythe by Neil Schusterman, read it. It's infinitely better than this one. This is just okay. Next, I read... The Sword of Destiny, I'm not going to really get into that. I DNF'd it because it was boring. I like the first book, The Last Wish. I'm just going to skip all these 0.75 bullshits and just get right into book one of The Witcher. So yeah, I'm not going to talk about that one. Chosen Ones by Veronica Roth. Ashley and I are actually going to podcast this in full with a spoiler free and a spoiler edition on May 8th. We podcast every Friday. At one o'clock ish, we podcast live, so you're welcome to join us on Podbean. So I'm not gonna talk about that book. The next book I read is Only Mostly Devastated by Sofia Gonzalez. This is an LGBT LGBTQ plus romance. Okay, so this book is described as Simon versus the Homo sapiens meets Clueless. Not sure where the clueless part comes in. I would not describe it as any of those. I would personally describe it as Grease, the movie Grease. And here's why. Okay, so this is about Ali, who is from California, but he is in North Carolina, I believe, to help take care of his sick aunt and her kids and her husband. And it's over the summer. And he has this summer romance with this guy named Will. And it's a sweeping romance. And they're on the beach. And it's great. And then it's time to go back home to California because it's time for school. But his mom was like, no, we're going to stay here because my sister's really, really sick. And we need to stay here and help her take care of her kids. And so then Ali's like, oh, God, I got to stay here. And he goes to his new school. And he goes to a party. And lo and behold, there's Will in his basketball jersey with his basketball buddies and he's in the closet. Doesn't that sound like Grease? It's totally Sandy and Danny Zuko. It's not clueless. Anyway, um, this book was just okay. I gave this a 275. Um, yeah, 275. There was nothing, once again, it wasn't a bad book. 
but it was just not great either. The author did the author tried to do too much. There's like a dying auntie and he's um he's gay and he was from California where everybody at school knew he was gay and now he's moved to the south where it's kind of conservative and he's kind of like he's not scared to come out but Will is not out so we're dealing with that like a co- a closeted uh love interest and then he has these new friends and one of them is like bisexual but she's not like she's just pretending she's not another one is plus size and then there's just there's just so much going on and I wish the author had it just like not done so much and maybe just kind of focused on Will and um Ollie Ollie's the main character but I mean this is classic YA where teens talk about pickles and freaking movies and like this is their conversation yes I'm an adult yes when I was a teen and I was talking to boys we talked about movies and pickles or whatever I don't know what I like on my hot dog I don't know but I don't want to read that in a YA book that is not character development um yes that's how teens talk however it is not make for an interesting book so it was just okay. It was just okay. If you are a librarian, sure, buy it. If you like fun, light, cute LGBTQ romances, you will probably enjoy this book. If you're looking for a critical read, no, don't bother. All right, next is I Read You by Caroline Kepnes. And I wanted to read this book. This book is old. I wanted to read this because I started watching the Netflix show by accident. Um... I was actually trying to learn how to set up the Netflix party with for my friends and I was using this show uh, to test it on and I had no intention of watching this show because I thought it was just about some creepy stalker but I was watching it and I'm like hmm this is quite interesting it's not just about some creepy stalker it is but there's more to it but I wanted to read the book first and go back and watch the show and I'm still on episode three of the show however and I cannot believe I'm saying this, but the show is way better than the book. Like, way better than the book. It's like the writer of the show read the book and was like, your book is missing something, and I'm going to make it better by putting what's missing in my show. So, and what was missing is, um, fuck, I forgot the main character's name already. Joe? Joe. The creepy soccer guy. In the book, Joe is just a creepy soccer guy. But in the show, he's far more sympathetic and he's far more likable, which is kind of jacked up because you find yourself rooting for him, but at the same time repulsed. And you kind of go back and forth and you are ultimately disgusted in yourself because you're rooting for a psycho stalker. Anyway, I recommend the show over the book but read the book too you know all right so my next book that I'm going to obliterate is Kingdom of Back by Marie Lu oh boy oh my god okay so I gave this book a one this is a nomination for worst book of the year I would like to start off by saying that I have read 
almost everything by Marie Lu. I think I've only missed one book by her. And she has, in my opinion, her writing has gotten increasingly bad, which is a shame because she came out around the same time as Sarah J. Mass and Lee Bardugo, and they have both grown infinitely as writers, whereas she has gone in the opposite direction, like the exact opposite direction. And this book is the bottom of the barrel. I'm I am so upset that this book was so bad. Oh my God. Okay, so this book is about Mozart's sister. In the book, her name is Nanarol. That's not her real name, but I'm going to call her Nanarol because that's what her name is in the book. I didn't even know Mozart had a sister, which I guess is the point. We didn't really know about her. And she is a prodigy as well. She's four years older than Mozart. And so she starts off playing the piano and she is a prodigy and her father is like, you know, making her play in front of people and trying to make money off of her. And then Mozart turns five and he becomes like a prodigy and kind of puts her in the shadow and she doesn't want to be forgotten. So like I was, um, yeah, she doesn't want to be forgotten. And she, um, so that's her, yeah, that's her whole jam. She doesn't want to be forgotten. Her and Mozart share a bed and she tells him little stories. She just makes up stories. And one of these little stories she makes up is about this guy who's from this magical kingdom. And lo and behold, her story starts to come true. And this guy appears. And once again, I don't remember his name, but let's call him the Mad Hatter because that's kind of what he reminded me of was Mad Hatter from Alice in Wonderland. So let's call him that. And He's like, hey, guys, I'm from a magical land called the Kingdom of Back. You want to go? And they're like, hell yeah, we want to go. And he's like, okay, well, tomorrow come to this shop and then I'll take you there. And they're like, okay, I'm going to go to this shop. So they go to this shop and she sees them and she goes in this little corner of this door and she goes to the little magical Kingdom of Back. And he kind of shows her around a little bit. They play a little piano. and He's like, hey, I need you to do some stuff for me. And she's like, you're cute. Sure. She's nine. She's nine. By the way, this is a totally middle grade. This is not YA. But anyway, so she's like, okay, cool. So um, the brother sees it too. And another one thing that really like got on my nerves so bad is that she would, every time she would have encounter, an encounter with the Mad Hatter, she would be like, I think that was a dream. Hello, Nanarol. Why would you think it was a dream? We just talked to him like three days ago and he wasn't a dream then. Why? She just kept saying, oh, it was a dream. Oh, it was a dream. And I'm like, oh my God, this girl is killing me. Anyway, so, okay. So the there's like two things going on in this book. One is you have this girl who is going to be in the shadow of her brother because he's a boy and the father is just going to want to marry her ass off and get money off of her and put Mozart in front of everybody and make him a star and she doesn't want that she doesn't want to be married she doesn't want that life she wants to be a star too of course that's not going to happen because she's a girl and this is I don't know what year it is it's old 17th century I don't know anyway she um so the the fantasy part is the second part of the book is the second plot of the book and that is supposed to kind of like help her make her 
not be forgettable because that's what she fears is to be forgettable. And so she confides in the Mad Hatter to help her not be forgettable. Okay, fine. The problem with that is that the two parts of this story, so there's a historical fiction part and then there is a fantasy part. It's not married well together. It's a little disjointed. It's the fantasy part comes out of left field. It doesn't blend into the historical fiction part well at all. And it wasn't written well. Like, I wish that Marie Lu, first of all, Marie Lu doesn't write fantasy. She writes science fiction. She needs to stick to science fiction because this whole fantasy thing she tried to do is not working. And so I almost wish she had just left the fantasy part alone. And here's why. Okay, so this is this is the fantasy world that this woman, quote unquote, made. So the Mad Hatter, he keeps appearing. Every time she tells a part of the story, he appears. And then so at one point, he's like, hey, Nanarol, I need you and Mozart to go and get the secret rock for me. I don't know. I think it was a rock. I don't know. It was something. And they're like, okay, what do I got to do? And he's like, okay, so I need you to go to this cave and you're going to see this witch, but don't talk to the witch. Don't look at the witch. Don't touch the witch. Just go in there, get the rock and get out of there. And they're like, okay, now neither one of them have any skills. Nanarol is nine, Mozart is five. All they know how to do is play the piano and all Nanarol knows how to do is play the piano and be a real bummer. So they're like, cool, let's go. They go to the cave and the first thing they do, hey witch, what's up? And she's like, hey guys, um, what are you guys doing? And they're like, nothing, why are you down here? And they're asking her questions and they're touching her and I'm like, he just told you three things to not do and you just did all three of them in the first five seconds of your encounter of the witch. Okay, so without any problems, well, not very many problems, it all happens in one chapter, a very short chapter. They get in there, they break all the rules, they get the magic rock and they get out unscathed. Kinda. So it's that bullshit, okay? It's like, Every time he gives them a task, remember, they have no skills but playing the piano and being bummers and getting sick from scarlet fever. That's the only magical powers they have. They manage to get it all done with no problems. That is not how you write a fantasy. I've never written a fantasy, but I happen to know because I've heard people talk about it. I've heard authors talk about When you write fantasies, you have to have obstacles. You have to give your main character obstacles so that they don't get to the thing easily. Like, they can't just, like, get it automatically, especially when they're not particularly strategic or a good fighter or... (laughs) Yeah, so the fantasy part was just so underdeveloped and... The father was the main villain. And I can't believe Marie Lu wrote such a bad villain. She can, she knows how to write a villain. She wrote an interesting anti-villain in The Young Elites. I don't understand why this guy was just so bad. The book was just not good. It was not good, guys. Just don't. Oh, if you read it and I'm missing something, let me know. Because I thought it was bad. Like I said, nominee for worst book of the year. It's probably going to be in the top three. I don't see myself reading a much worse book than that. That's not true. 
<laughs> there was another book on this list that was pretty, pretty bad. I'm not going to say which one because we did it in a podcast. You got you to gotta go find it for yourself. Okay, the last book I'm going to talk about is The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. And I'm going to do a spoiler and a spoiler-free edition of this book. And I will put when I do the spoiler-free edition in the show notes so that you will know when I get to it. This will not be published until October. So um, I did get this on Edelweiss. So if you are a frequenter of Edelweiss, you might be able to download it. Okay, so this is the spoiler-free edition of The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. And this is about Adeline, and it takes place in 1714 France. She lives in a little provincial town in France, and she, just like Nanarol, does not want to be married off and have babies. She wants to live her life. And when she was younger, her father kind of indulged her in this by letting her go to market with him. And when she became too old, when she became like old enough to, you know, start thinking about marriage, the mom put the kibosh on that. And Adeline held it off. She held it off. She's about 23. And then one day her mom and dad were like, hey, girlfriend, you need to get married to Roger down the street and take care of his kids. And she's like, I don't want to do that. And they're like, we don't care. You're going to do it. And so she runs away. And what I didn't mention is there's this old lady who lives down the road and she's like, there are some good gods and there's some bad gods and you never pray to the gods at night. You're going to get a bad God. And so she runs away from her wedding. The sun is setting and she's like begging to the gods, please, please let me live. I do not want to marry this guy. And the sun is setting and she accidentally prays to a bad God. He grants her wish. However, there's a caveat and the caveat is that she will never be remembered. So basically her curse is that when she meets people, if they turn their back on her for a couple of seconds, like if they stop looking at her for a couple of seconds, they forget her immediately. So no one ever remembers her until 300 years later in 2014, where she meets a guy named Henry who remembers her name. So that's basically the plot of the book. Okay, I gave this a four point one I will not go higher than a poor of 4.25 maybe somebody else will read it and convince me otherwise but it won't go higher than a 4.25 and I'm really upset about that because I love V Schwab she's one of my favorite writers um I forgot to mention that this is adult by the way this is not YA this is adult but she is one of my favorite YA authors and I was really excited about this book and yes a four is good but Usually when I read a V.E. Schwab book, it's usually a 4.5 or higher. It's never lower than a 4.5. And so for me, this was a disappointment. Um, And here's why. Okay, so the main god is named Lucian. I'm just going to call him Luce. And he basically cursed her. He's the one who cursed her. And the whole book hinges on their relationship because he's the only one who remembers her. So of course she's going to develop some sort of feelings for him because he's the only one who can remember her. And he starts to develop some feelings for her too. And so this book hinges on their relationship. However, there was not enough heat 
or passion or longing or desire between these two characters as I'm assuming it was supposed to be. This book would go back and forth between 2014 to like the 18th century and the 19th century. And she would, she would be living through these major events in history. So like the French revolution and world war one. And when the, um, the, um, what's it called? The Eiffel tower was erected, which is the 18 something, um, you know, 1920s New York. Like she was living through these major events and he was coming back to her every time. And so the book would jump back and forth. And I was finding myself like hating the chapters with Lucian and wanting to get back to the chapters with Henry because the Lucian chapters were just, they were, they, there, there was no substance there. And I know that it was supposed to be substance. I know it was supposed to be develop, developing this effed up relationship between Addie and Lucian, but it just didn't do it. And there were some chapters that, that did do it. And I'll say it in the spoiler edition, but for the most part, it just didn't do it. And it made me lower my rating that far because of that. That was my only problem with this book. But it was that was so big that I had to lower my rating. Um, but everything else I loved about it. So my favorite thing about this book is V.E. Schwab's writing. If you've never read a book by her, she writes science fiction she is a beautiful writer, just like the words on the page are just beautiful. And the way she describes people and their issues and her worlds are always very well done. Her She's she's a star at worlds, but I don't think she's good at writing romance. Um, There was no romance in Vicious. I didn't like the dark duet. That's YA. I don't like her YA writing. So I, but I recall not liking that romance in that book either. I also didn't like Kel and Delilah as a couple. I did like Alucard and Reese as a couple, but not Kel and Delilah. So I don't know. I don't think romance is V. Schwab's strong suit. I think her strengths are writing strong female characters and worlds. Anyway, strong female characters I think Addie was a pretty good character was she the best character in the world no I've definitely read better but she she was good enough I I enjoyed her circumstance more than her and the girl was really sad and like her circumstances was just really sad and she tried to make the best of it she really did she, but it was just so sad because nobody could remember her. And I'm reading this book. I, you know, it's quarantine. It's a Tuesday. I'm drunk on like freaking gin and tonics. And I was literally sobbing, like sobbing for like 30 minutes during parts of this book because it was just so sad. I don't know if I was would have been crying so hard if I wasn't drunk, but Moral of the story, don't drink and read this book because you're going to be crying a lot. And yeah, like she writes sadness really well. So just 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 the book is just beautifully written. It was just the Lucian and um, the Addie relationship that I just did not like. But everything else, I loved Henry. I loved Henry's situation. Um, 
I loved all the themes. And one thing about V.E. Schwab's writing is that the book was about 450 pages, which is a pretty lengthy book for her. She usually writes her books under 400 pages. But every word in this book had purpose. There was never any pointless, useless phrases or words in this book. So if she mentioned storms or birds or trees or stars, it all meant something, whether to the plot, to the characters, to the world, something, to the themes, something. It all meant something, which I love that. So that's why, you know, she's a really good writer because she she writes purposefully. Um, I do recommend it. I will be reading book two. I did like how it ended. This book is predictable. I will say that, but I think it's predictable on purpose. Um, I don't think V. Schwab was trying to throw some major plot twists on our asses because it was pretty clear what was going to happen. And I wasn't like upset about it. It's a good predictable. So that wasn't a problem. But oh man, that that relationship just, just sucked hard. So that is my review, my spoiler-free review, review of The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. It is on Edelweiss. I highly recommend it. It is a very good book. You will probably love it more than me. I might be just thinking too hard with the Lucian Addie situation. Um, but if you like any of her other stuff, you're going to like this too. Okay, I am going to get to the spoiler edition of The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. All right, so there isn't too much to spoil in this book. What I will say about the Lucin, Lucian and Addie relationship, there was one moment in the book where I wish it was more of this than what I got and I would have rated it higher. So it was, it was the part where um, it's almost their anniversary and Addie has gotten herself a little house and she's made dinner and she's set up the place and she's waiting for Lucian to show up and he doesn't show up and she gets really sad and angry. And that was that was one of the only chapters where I felt like sadness of this relationship, this jacked up relationship that they had. That was the only time I felt some like really strong emotion from either of them. And if it had been more of that, then it would have been a five. But it just wasn't. Um, there was when I was saying that I was drunk and crying. It was I was really crying at the part where she is in France. She's in Paris, I believe. And she meets Remy and she likes Remy and she goes home with Remy and they wake up in the morning and he doesn't remember her and he thinks she's a prostitute. And I just started sobbing because I liked Remy too. <laughs> just thought she was a prostitute. And it was so sad, especially when you're drunk. And I, I wish it had that type of emotion with the Lucian portions of the book, but and the chapters with Samantha were really good. Like, I, I love their relationship, too. Uh, but just the Lucian thing was just not working for me. Um, one thing that I didn't see coming was Henry. When you meet Henry in the beginning, his chapters are very... He's very just kind of, like, living his life. And, you know, just, you know, just 
very positive and you know he does have some moments but for the most part he he's got some great friends and you know he has some issues with his sister but you know hey you know who doesn't and and then he meets um Addie and they go have coffee and they're skipping on the train and they're going to the museum and it's just all just lovely and happy lo and behold he only has a year to live I was like oh my god that's horrible I didn't see that coming I did not predict that but I did predict that Lucian purposely chose Henry because he looked like Lucian. He looked like Eddie's dream guy, dark hair, green eyes. And he knew that she was going to trade her life for his. He knew she was going to do that. I was kind of mad at Eddie for not for not seeing that was going to happen. I know she was just like hoping and wishing and she probably she well she didn't probably she knew or she thought that she scammed the system with Lucian. Um I just was like, "Girlfriend, clearly this is this is a trick." And she didn't see it coming and that was really sad. But when you find out that he tried to commit suicide because of a failed marriage proposal denial thing. And he was just, and his storms were like depression. And oh my God, like this guy was tragic. He was tragic. And I just loved his whole story. Like I just thought that was done so beautifully. And when, um, and I mean, you knew that she was, he was going to know her name cause it's, it's in the description, like, come on. But so like I was saying, you knew it was, you knew it was going to happen. But it was how it happened and how they dealt with it was what you didn't know or was not able to predict. So it was the execution. You knew you knew what was going to happen, but it was the execution that made the book really good. Um, I don't know what else to say. I feel like the ending was perfect. Um, you know, book two, she's basically going to try to come back and get Henry back and kill Lucian forever. Kill him forever? That doesn't make sense. But you know what I mean? She's going to get rid of him forever so he doesn't come back to her. Um, but their relationship, like, I know what V.E. Schwab was trying to do when they actually started dating Henry, uh, Henry, Lucian and Addie started dating in, um, in New Orleans and then he like screwed her over again I'm like oh my god like I can't believe she just started like having a relationship with this guy it just didn't didn't work well it just it just didn't flow well I was so disappointed in that whole relationship maybe it was too many chapters maybe it shouldn't have been so many chapters I don't know what I don't know but I wish she could fix it I really do because it's such a good book it's such an interesting book um, but yeah, that's all I really have as far as the spoiler edition. There really isn't too much to spoil. Um, I just kind of spoiled. That's it really. But, um, those are all the books that I read in April. Thank you for joining me. Ashley and I podcast every Friday, uh, with a new book where we rate and thoroughly discuss it. We do a spoiler free edition and a spoiler edition Next week, we're going to be doing The Chosen Ones by Veronica Roth. The week after, I believe, we're going to be doing The Betrothed by Kiera Cass. Oh, good Lord. I'm not 
looking forward to that one at all. Um, I can't remember what the next book we're going to do. I think it's either Ray Bearer. I can't remember. We have some books in the works. I want to do Aurora Burning, but she hasn't read Aurora Rising yet. So I don't know. We might do that one soon. But thank you for joining me. Be safe. Stay inside. And we'll catch you in the next podcast.